Hello everybody and welcome to Mentally Sounds podcast episode number four and you'll realise if you're a regular listener to the show why I'm saying podcast is because this is not the live show and we have some explaining to do um, which is is not what we want but this is unfortunately the situation we've been in. So I'm Stephen Hesse, I am the host of uh, the Geek Apocalypse podcast as well as this Mentally, Mentally Sound radio show that we broadcast every second Friday on Gravity Radio Northeast 2 till 4. Uh, here in Newcastle where we do the show, uh, Newcastle, England. And usually what happens is when we release the podcast uh, if, um, after after the radio show, like the first week after the radio show is done, is we'll try and give you as much of the live show as possible um, because one of the reasons we want to do it live is so we can have live interviews and live uh, interaction between, uh, usually my co-host is Carol, um, who does a really great job, and... On last week's show, what we found out after we did the show was that the radio show that we're part of did not have the recordings on to record all their content. So basically, in a nutshell, we have lost all the live element to the show from me communicating with my co-host Carol, like the banter between us and introducing the segments, as well as all the live interviews that we did. We just, no one was recording them because obviously we're doing the show, uh, all the producers are involved in making the show a success while we do it live. Uh, so we don't have the ability to do the recording and we rely on the radio station to do that. So straight away, we're basically saying, we're apologising to people uh, and also reiterating how annoyed we are from our perspective that that's happened because in a obviously as you as you as you won't be surprised to hear me say that shouldn't happen and and I will go as far as to say if we were in control of that that would never happen um so it's one of these annoying situations where we have just lost a decent amount of our a, a decent amount of our show that we can't broadcast after we've done it. Uh, one of the things that we do anyway is to take the music out for copyright issues uh, because of, uh, if we ever wanted this to become a, 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 an actual entity and 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 and, and profit and, and generate money you know we can't, we we obviously can't have any sort of copyright stuff as a podcast uh, so we take out the music anyway to 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 spare us that that um to spare us that the, the trouble of, of of getting copyright clearance so the music is never a part of it anyway, but but obviously the the live interviews is one of the main reasons we do the radio show in the first place, and the live content with me and Carol talking to each other. So we also need to apologise to anyone who's listening who's part of the live show who won't be able to be heard. So from Reese and Ricky and Jules, who's kind enough to he's actually recorded his poetry section again, so you will be hearing this hearing it on this podcast. But we need to apologise in particular to Carol who was part of all the segments we did, because obviously he was co-hosting the show with myself, who won't be part of this podcast because of the error that the radio station did. So we a huge apology to her for not being uh, part of this podcast. Uh, so if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, we highly encourage you to listen to the first three shows, which will give you an indication of what the live shows are like. Um, it's one of the things, it's one of the main reasons that we do the radio show, as I said earlier, the opportunity to do to have live interaction and live debate is really a, a very good entertaining thing to do and I think it adds a good element to the show so unfortunately you're just having me explaining the situation and what we've decided to do to combat that is we want to provide a show of the best quality that we can under the circumstances so what I suggested we do is that I will do I will record some pre-recorded stuff 
after the fact uh, where where I will crowbar in all the sections and I will tell you what sections are coming up uh, in between each section so that it gives it some sort of structure because originally what we were going to do is have like a kind of best of and kind of do this thing of I know as you're probably listening to this you're probably thinking like I am okay I want to do a Homer Simpson thing and go do because that's what I feel like with the the error that's been made uh, so, but in order to to have some sort of structure to the podcast, what I'm basically saying is, I will be introducing each section after each segment's played to give it some sort of structure. Um, so you'll, unfortunately, whether this is good or not, you'll be getting just me um, introducing the sections for this particular podcast um, to, to to obviously give you as much content as we can uh, from the live show because we want the quality to be good as it possibly can be, and that's something we stress all the time. So we feel it's some sort of halfway house between the live show and the podcast. What the podcast would be normally is we feel this is somewhere in the middle. So we hope that you understand the situation we've been put in. And we and we can guarantee, as the editor of the show, I get to hear all the pre-recorded stuff uh, before it goes on the show. And the pre-recorded stuff is always good. And you will hear that if you listen to all the shows. And if you're a regular listener, I feel the content is always good anyway. So this first... Uh, section to get the show uh, to get the show going on this podcast is uh, with Sue Taylor, who um, is part of is the CEO of Site Service, and Bill Scotts talks to her about her funding success, about helping um, about helping the visually impaired deal with mental health issues because obviously that's a byproduct of of their disability, um, and it's a very interesting interview talking about that and talking about how to get funding and how difficult it is. And the difficulties that visually impaired people go through. It's a bit like our LGBT thing about, you know, being discriminated against and, and the effect it has on your mental health by by that by being in that situation. So this is a great section. Uh, so this is Bill talking to Sue and you're listening to the Mentally Sound podcast. And we'll be back in a sec, guys. But this is Bill uh, interviewing Sue. And thanks, guys, so much for listening. Well, I'm with Sue Taylor today over at Site Service in the main office in Benjamin Hospital at the minute. So, um, it's lovely to meet you again. And you too. <laughs> uh, we've known each other for quite, long, quite a long time now. And I'm never less than impressed with the work that site servers do. Um, you get some great ideas. We've talked a lot more that are ahead of us now. So, when did site service start? Please remind me. It actually started formally in 1996, when it was a bee in somebody's bonnet that... <laughs> the services that were available in uh, China and Weir were not as good as those available in the rest of the country. Right. So there was a lot of talking and planning, and then two years after that, they decided they should do something. Wow. So we started, actually started, in 1998, 1999. Wow. So you've got the the main place in Gateshead, in Benjamin Hospital, Mm -hmm. and you've also got... Um, I gather you've got somewhere in South Tyneside as We've well. We've got somewhere in South Tyneside in Gordon Street, but we started in a very grotty church hall when we when we first started in Gateshead, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. with a bell on the piano that was the fire alarm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was dire. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I remember I used to borrow your um, your uh, your tape copying machines. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. When I used to make that. Um, uh, newspaper yeah. newsletter for yeah yeah that's right yeah so yeah we've moved on a bit yeah indeed yeah now we've one of the things that we've talked about a lot has been um, mental health in relation to visual impairment 
and you know people with sight loss and so forth and yeah. the kind of the well-being issues the mental health mm-hmm. issues they've got emotional mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them yes um would you this is something that we keep talking about and we must do something we, about we must do something about for years and years mental health issues for visually impaired person people were were pushed to one side were forgotten we knew that people uh, were emotionally upset when they lost their sight. But perhaps we tended to pat people on the back and say, they're there, it'll get better, <laughs> which of course it didn't. Um, and for the last few years, we have recognised that uh, for some people, losing their sight is far more uh, of an issue than uh, just needing a bit of gentle emotional support. Mm. Um and it needs to be much firmly sort of embedded in in the thoughts of especially people who deliver services for people with mental health issues. Mm. Um, I know from our own experience here that uh, in the last year we've had two people who have seriously wanted to end their life. Um, and it's really unfortunate that their needs weren't being addressed in the right way. Mm. I remember those discussions we had. It was time to change, wasn't it? They, mm. Uh, mm. Angela came in mm. uh, with people and linked with launch partners and so forth. Yes. And we had a lovely meeting. Well, we did. And we wanted to follow it up. We did. Yeah. <laughs> we learned a lot from, from yeah. meeting with Angela mm. and uh, the team that she's working with mm. uh, and the positiveness of the people who had come to terms with their mental health issues and were getting on with their lives. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we do need to work more closely together, and probably looking for the right idea to actually make it work. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a much neglected area, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. So we've um, you've managed a great bit of news about this morning, and an email I got. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and well done, you. You've um, you're into a new phase of the side service and having. Um, obtain lottery funding yeah, for quite got, an amount. We've got half a million pounds worth of lottery to uh, develop our services and share our knowledge with Newcastle and hopefully look to be doing things together and look to be improving services in Newcastle. Um, I'm sure it will be beneficial for absolutely everybody, mm. which isn't a bad thing. Mm. And um, as we said before you started the tape, we at Site Service are also planning to move from Bencham to a new building in Pelor, where again there are very exciting ideas of what we might do. Oh, sounds very exciting. It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you are very, um, you know, half a million pounds sounds a lot, but then you're, you're a very practical person. And, well, uh, it's half a million pound over five years, yeah. so it's not an enormous amount of money when you actually look at what we want to do with that money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be very thinly spread, <laughs> but still good. <laughs> well, it's a remarkable achievement mm. in this day and age. So, um if it's okay with you, I'd love to meet up with you again mm-hmm. and we'll do another feature about uh, your move, perhaps, yep. or uh, talk mm-hmm. further about mental health and visual impairment. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah, thanks very yeah. much, Sue. Thank you very okay. much. Okay, bye. Bye. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Mentally Sound podcast with your host, Mr. Stephen Hesse, and that was Bill Scott talking to Sue Taylor from Sight Service. And uh, that, as I said before the section started, that was a really, really great segment 
talking about um, the difficulties getting funding, which is something as a guy who runs a self-employment company right now, how difficult that can be. Uh, but obviously for something uh, as big as what site service is trying to provide for the visually impaired, that's obviously harder. But as I sort of touched on, something I want to briefly talk about is, like I mentioned in regards to the LGBT, in terms of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, um, transgender community who get discriminated against for their sexuality, it's one of the things that, you know, they kind of uh, are approached in terms of help in regards for what they are you know so if you have a disability that is who you are uh with with the with with your sexuality that's in well i know this is debated but in my eyes you're born with your sexuality um in a lot of ways so you know it is it has been sort of proven to a certain extent that it's gene related uh hence uh, Richard Dawkins' book, The Gay Gene, which is uh, which talks about the gay gene, uh, which I, I highly recommend you read. But also, um, but what the point I'm making is that in, in Sue and our LGBT uh, section we did two shows ago touches on this as well, which I thought was really interesting. Is that this idea of that you deal with the the mental health repercussions of what of the of either being discriminated against or what disability you have is very often isn't overlooked through the disability itself i mean some people made the argument which i agree with that that mental health is a disability in itself because it's very debilitating and it's very and it and it is you become very incapable of doing very simple things so it has that aspect to it but 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 basically the point i'm making is like if you take the visually impaired for example that is a has a very physical it's a very it's obviously a physical symptom and it's one someone can see. It's it's obvious that someone has difficulty with their sight, whether it is that they've got a guide dog or a walking stick or, or or glasses, whatever it may be. You notice, you can tell someone's blind. You know, ha- has a difficulty with their sight. Um, but the mental health aspect of dealing with that disability is is very often not appreciated or 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 at the very least understood. And so that's why the stuff like the site service, what they provide as well as the LGBT to to help people deal with the mental health aspect of whether it's being discriminated against or misunderstood, whatever it may be, is so important and kind of shows that it's a different problem in itself, um, which, is, which is obviously an interesting debate and one that we talked about in the live show, which we can't listen to. I, I realise that it kind of feels like a bit like the elephant, elephant in the room. That do we discuss it? Do we not? Do we mention it? Do we not mention it? And I feel that I always kind of, anyone that knows me knows my personality is one where I do sort of um, address the elephant in the room and just kind of hope it doesn't trample me to death, which is uh, an interesting way of looking at it. But yeah, I will kind of be making the odd joke to to how great the live show was that you can't listen to but what i will say is that as i as i touched on earlier is that um this is a really really the the sections in particular that we did for this show are really really great so it, this is a great show in itself it just obviously is different to what you would originally listen to if you're a regular listener so again i will just joke about that from now and again because i think it's uh it's kind of fun it's i kind of feel it's a good way good and healthy way of, of dealing with it but yeah it was a really great segment and i really um appreciate uh we really thanks so much to bill for doing that interview and obviously sue for being a guest on the show we really appreciate it but 
In regards to what we would usually do on the live shows, we would do a sort of mental health news segment or we would do a kind of bulletin board on things that people should be interested in knowing. Uh, And one of the things that we mentioned on the show is uh, there's some important uh, learning disability events happening for Learning Disability Week, actually, which is a national national thing. And in South Tyneside, there's loads of rich and varied events happening from the 15th to the 21st, so there's still a couple of days, a few days left of this recording uh, where you can, um, you know, find out any events that are taking place in South Tyneside. Uh, If you want more information about that, you can go to www.inclusionnorth.org. So that's inclusion, N-I-C-L-U-S-I-O-N, North, as in N-O-R-T-H, dot org. Uh, There will be a description link underneath the, the podcast in the iTunes description where you can... Uh, you can uh, copy and paste it, uh, or, and obviously just read uh, what I just said. Uh, to, so I will help you out in that regard. But I just thought I would explain what the uh, what the site is uh, verbally, and also to uh, to reiterate to go there to find more information. And um, also, uh, they they asked me to say that on Saturday, the twenty seventh of June, between two and ten p.m. at the Customs House in South Shields. So that's you've got a bit of time for that. Uh, there'll be a whole uh, varied uh, event program happening at the Customs House, so please do uh, go on the site I just mentioned to find more information about that very thing. Uh, but the next segment uh, that we did on the show was uh, a segment with Selma Starr, uh, who is a musician. She does ukulele stuff, and she did uh, Beatles covers in Liverpool, and um, a bunch of guys as part of the uh, Mentally Sound team uh, i believe alistair and carol i don't um, um maybe there was a few others that weren't mentioned but they went down to liverpool to watch selma star do her performance where she does uh, a bunch of beetle covers and they were kind enough to record uh record the the gig and so we played a couple of songs on the radio show and uh, carol got the opportunity to explain how great the event was and when she went to it again lost 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 in the ether of of forever but uh, but um uh, Carol said she had a really, really great time, and obviously it was a good trip for for certain members of the team to go and watch Selma perform. And so we we decided to uh, give people the opportunity to do a snippet of the great talent that Selma is in regards to and, uh, of all the Beatle covers she did on that night. And so we we played a couple of songs on the show, and that's what we're going to do now. Uh, so this is Selma Starr doing some Beatle covers, uh, and you're listening to the Mentally Sound podcast. But we'll be back in a sec, guys. But enjoy the music of Selma Starr doing some Beatles covers live in Liverpool.
with you, would you promise to be true and help me understand that I've been in love before and found that love was more than just holding hands. If I Hello everybody and welcome back to the Mentally Sound podcast, show four. Uh, it feels weird saying podcast of Mentally Sound because obviously we just do the live shows and don't mention podcast at all, but it still feels weird. But huge thank you uh, to Selma Star uh, for agreeing to be recorded for our show, uh, as I'm sure you'll appreciate having just listened to it. it is incre- she's incredibly good and uh, we highly encourage you to check out her stuff, uh, which I again, I believe if you just type her into Google you will find uh, hopefully some information on her. Um, that's something we should have met, we should have touched on on the show actually. But there you go. Uh, but yeah, huge thank you for Carol to uh, for Carol as well and to Alistair, I believe, who went with her to help record all the stuff. But uh, yeah, super fun, awesome, fun times. It's really great to have sort of live music that we can kind of redo, uh, which is really really cool. Um, so what happened in the the show last is a, this was the, would have been the section about what makes them happy. Uh, but one of the things that one of the pre-recorded stuff, the next pre-recorded section that we actually did on the live show, uh, was with John Lawler, who is um, the LTW um, uh, trustee, NHS trustee, basically chief executive uh, for the uh, Northumberland area, um, who talks about his difficulties in helping people, uh, his increased awareness, uh, increasing awareness of of, of uh, what he does, and obviously. Uh, the difficulties with mental health and also his his own personal struggles 
which is obviously interesting here for someone who's in quite a, a predominant position. Uh, this is going to be uh, a series of interviews, actually. The uh, the actual interview length that we did was an hour long, so we're going to be cutting them into three separate sections. Uh, so the next two are going to be on the next two subsequent podcasts. Um, so this first one uh, is the first beginning. Uh, he is interviewed by Victoria, one of our one of our great producers. Um, and this is a really, really interesting uh, discussion talking about um, all the stuff that John Lord has part of and obviously the debate about how to treat people and what the best approach is, uh, which is something that um, I am always interested in debating about. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, Victoria and uh, Becky, I believe, um, interview with John Lawler, part one uh, of three. As I say, the rest are going to be coming, coming later in the other shows. Uh, but, yeah, this is uh, part one of uh, our interview with John Lawler. Hello, uh, enjoy. and I would just like to quickly introduce a very special interview that we are doing today with John Lawler, who is head of the NTW and its chief executive. With me is our contributor, Becky, and obviously you know me as Victoria, who is a contributor to the show and also producer. And also we have Amy, who is a very prolific blogger. Hi, my name's Amy Wilson. Um, I run the mental health blog, I'm Not Disordered. Um, And I've just come along today to hear what John has to say. Um, and I will be blogging about the interview and also there'll be a YouTube video, which I'm sure we can link in at the end of the interview. Okay, thank you. So um, just to open, basically, uh, starting from the beginning, obviously uh, mental health, mental illness touches us all in some way, whether it's as a personal experience or the experience of a friend, a colleague, a loved one. I myself suffer from borderline personality disorder um, we actually do have another contributor, Sophie, who's not able to be here today. And um, obviously, it's quite um, a universal issue. So mm. perhaps if you were able to tell us some of your own personal experiences with mental health issues. Yep. Um, I'm very open with people. And in fact, I was um, open with the chairman before I even applied for the job that I've suffered for quite a number of years with some uh, a depressive illness that... Um, uh, fortunately goes away for a bit and then comes with a greater vengeance and I do actually sort of have suicidal thoughts um, so that's uh, part of the reason why I'm so passionate about doing the job I've been here nearly a year now uh, and I've been working in the public sector for 31 years and this is the most enjoyable job I've ever done Fantastic, thank you for your openness and your honesty um, Looking at uh, our first issue um, this phrase, parity of esteem I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit and tell us a little bit about what it means to the NTW. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's an unfortunate phrase because I think it's a bit clumsy, but effectively, for me, it means three things. I think nationally it means primarily that mental health issues um, and physical health issues should be treated as um, equals. Um, so I think that's one dynamic. I think the second dynamic for me, though, is about, therefore, how do we make sure that the money is equally um, prioritised in the same way, and that's still, shall we say, work in progress. And then I think the third thing is this thing about people um, being able to feel comfortable about talking about um, mental health issues in the way that they generally are with with physical health issues. Um, I would say, for example, um, people uh, are generally relatively relaxed about talking about, I don't know, hip surgery. Um, But if somebody goes in to see a service, uh, to see a um, community psychiatric nurse or a psychiatrist, um, even if they would like to be open about it, they feel there's potential implications for their work, their family, etc. So I think the third bit for me is about parity of 
um, how should we say, parity of um, ability to be able to talk openly about physical health and mental health issues um, equally. That's fantastic, thank you. Um, looking at the vision, mission and values of the NTW, uh, could you perhaps expand a little bit on what those mean to you personally and perhaps tie that in slightly with how that links with this idea of uh, the parity of esteem yeah. and the uh, equality between mental and physical health services? Sure. I mean, the organisation is sort of quite complex. It, um, it serves 1.4 million people. Uh, it's got 6,000 staff and we spend £300 million a year. Um, I say that more by way of context because I think the, the, the vision is around trying to deliver world-class services. And that sounds perhaps a bit naff, but what it really means is that we should always be looking to move from good to better to best. Uh, and I think probably one of the things that makes my job so enjoyable and humbling is that I don't think I've met a sim single member of staff that isn't absolutely passionate about doing the best they can for people. Nobody in this organisation, I think nobody in most organisations, come to work to do a bad thing. Um, and I've worked in a number of NHS organisations, and I would say um, this is the place where I've met the most inspirational members of staff. Um, so I think that's probably the bit about what the organisation is trying to do. I think how that links with parity of esteem, I'll give you a practical example. We've had a huge focus over the last couple of years in monitoring people who are in our mental health services, particularly our inpatient services, but more broadly, their physical health conditions. So um, diabetes, um, respiratory issues, cardiac issues. And the whole point of that is to try and make sure that once we have all that information routinely collected, we can ensure that their physical health needs are prioritised just as if they were living in the community and they were going to access a service through their GP. So that's a really good example of practically trying to say, um, because somebody happens to have a mental health issue and they're working with, uh, we're working with them, why should their physical health needs not be addressed just the same as anybody else's? So that's a really sort of like obvious current example for us. Thank you. Um, just to sort of throw one of your own quotes back at you a little bit. Um, oh dear, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> a career with the NTW goes further than the job. It's living in and around the people we serve and embracing the places that make the area so special. Do you stand by that quote still? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yes, definitely. I think, I think the, the, the challenge for me as the chief exec is to try and make sure that the people that are here to do the job get the maximum support possible from people like me. And so therefore there's a real tension about how do we make sure that the money doesn't sort of like drive what we do and that the various different targets were set by government doesn't drive what we do. So I think the way I would link it back to what I said is trying to make sure that every single person comes into work believing that this organisation is trying to help them do the job to the best of their ability. That might sound a bit sort of like trite, but I think that's partly what the thing about um, delivering world-class um, services means, really. And you will find staff, and um, you know, I'm very happy for you to come and talk to staff and meet staff and service users. You will find staff that feel that actually the reality on the ground is pretty tough these days. Um, and so they would probably say, mm, it's all well and good for him to say that. Um, but I would, I would hope that they would say to you also that, that the organisation is very, very patient-focused, service-user-focused. Um, and we hardly ever talk about um, what's happening with the money because actually that's just the, the, that's just the currency through which we deliver services. I mean, there will be listeners and there certainly are contributors um, to the show who perhaps have had negative experiences yep. with particular individual members of staff. I think it would be impossible to criticise the service as a whole. I myself have had some extremely positive experiences 
while I was receiving treatment in uh, South Tyneside, mm -hmm. I went through the DBT program. Yeah. I had a very supportive CPN, and my experiences were very positive. But just how, if you could speak directly to those people now who have been perhaps disillusioned yes. and perhaps have had negative experiences, as is the case in all large organisations, yes. in education, in policing, in you know, through um, men uh, mental and physical health services, what would you say to them to sort of re-inspire them, to let them know that you care and that you sure. are listening and you are striving to make those improvements? A few things, really. I mean, the, 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 sort of the traditional answer would be about please complain. Um, we would encourage people to complain. Um, if anybody sort of complains and asks me to look into it, they will always get a personal um, reply from me. And I think probably that's the top end of things. A lot of people don't feel that they want to formally complain. I think the second thing is actually sort of make sure that they feedback. We have things like points of view, um, where actually there's a there's a sort of a little sort of form that you can use to actually put either anonymously or um, uh, putting your name and say this is the thing that we either um, found that we didn't like, and so all of that stuff gets fed into our sort of processes and we review that every month. Uh, and I think the bit about re-inspiring people and sort of giving them confidence to come back in, as it were, um, I think probably linked to what I said earlier about the um, commitment to the staff. Uh, I think we, we we would want to make sure that people had confidence in our services. And we will always say, is there a different professional you would like to see if they've lost confidence in an individual for whatever reason? Thank you. Um, I hope that that's made a difference to some of our contributors and to our listeners that Obviously, you are taking these issues very seriously and obviously the message is communication yeah. and it has to be a two-way thing. Mm -hmm. uh, just sort of leading on from communication, looking at the differences in provision, for example, between the NTW and the TEWV, which is yeah. the service that serves sort of the south yes. of um, the region, how do you work together in order to share best practice, cooperation, and particularly looking at not just this large-scale communication and cooperation, but also on a small scale, for example, transition of yes. provision yep. for someone like myself who moved from the Tyneside area into the Durham area? Yes. Yep. How, how does that all work? How do you see the vision sure. for that large uh, and small uh, scale? A, a few bits of context first of all. We're very unusual in the North East. There are only two large NHS mental health providers. Um, uh, so if you look at Yorkshire and Humber, which is where I used to work, there are seven. Um, so it, we're actually very large, sort of sprawling organisations, which has its advantages and its disadvantages. I think the advantage is that there's the ability, if you like, to share good practice across our six localities, as there is at Tees, Esk and Weir Valley. Um, so that's one of the advantages, the disadvantage, obviously, is that people then might feel there's not a great choice. Um, so one of the things that we work, we do together, Martin Barkley and I, who's the Chief Executive at Tees Esk and Weir Valley, is look at where are the things that we can actually learn from each other. Um, so there are some things that we may actually sort of say, well, we'd like to do that and they like to do that, so we actually have to go through tendering processes and one of us will come out the other side with the contract. But that's very much the exception, not the rule. It's all about working together and learning things from each other. So, for example, our Director of Nursing and um, Operations, he meets regularly with his opposite number at Tees Eskimoir Valley. We're actually, I think it's in two weeks' time, having a joint exec team meeting between Martin's organisation and ours. So that's sort of like the, the, the big level, if you like. At a more operational level, you're quite right. There are some services that we provide and then there may be a more specialist element to it that Tees Esquire Valley provide. 
and vice versa. So one of the really important things is how we try and make sure people don't fall between the cracks. So to give you a really practical example, we deliver a range of eating disorder services, and so does TZS Conway Valley. The large majority of the inpatient facilities for people who've got quite um, uh, severe um, experiences of eating disorders um, are actually provided in the south of the patch. So one of our key jobs is to make sure that if somebody's in our service that we feel needs to be admitted into a ward, that there's really, really good clinical dialogue going on between them. So that's a really practical example of what happens. Um, but you're quite right. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to sort of do. Um, but I can give people confidence that um, the two organisations work well together um, and we're constantly trying to look at other things we can do better. So, for example, we've been looking at some of the things that Martin's organisation have been doing around their sort of transformation work, um, and they've been to see what we're doing in the Sunderland South Tyneside patch. Um, and to be honest, it's broader than that. Most of the mental health trusts across the country, there are 59 big NHS mental health providers. We get together um, regularly as chairs and chief executives across the NHS. Um, I think it's every other month. Um, so there is a desire to try and make sure that we're all um, if like learning from each other. But um, probably the other thing to say with all that is actually the evidence base around what works um, is still developing. I think that the research focus over the years has been much more on physical health, things like cancer um, uh, and other such physical health conditions. It's sort of like becoming much more a priority now for government, for um, policymakers, for the NHS. So we're now actually starting to see things that we know works. Um, so I can sort of give you some examples of that perhaps later. Thank you. Good question. <clears throat> um, saying that about eating disorder services and how they have better sort of inpatient facilities, do you think that's acceptable though that? you're able to transfer them and that it's not in our area? Yeah, and it's, it's a really good point because I think um, I would describe inpatient eating disorder services as a very highly specialised service. Mm-hmm. So I think the key thing, I entirely get the point that people wouldn't want to travel too far, um, having the expertise of the nursing staff, the medics, the OTs, the physiotherapists, the dietitians, access to the physical health services in one location guarantees you know absolutely first-rate services. Whereas if you try and provide a small version in each locality, it's locally accessible, but it's definitely not going to be as good a sort of a service, and therefore there's a risk that you won't get as rapid a recovery. So it's always a tension: how much do you have? Um, in local um, patches and how much do you centralise. It's a bit like if I sort of give an example with Newcastle Teaching Hospitals. Newcastle Teaching Hospitals provide um, uh, transplantation for um, uh, children with heart, uh, congenital heart problems. There are only two places in the country that do that. Um, so it's just an example of where, and I would describe something like an inpatient eating disorder service as not quite that specialised, but there's a relatively small number of places in the country. Uh, but I think it's a very fair question because we do certainly have some challenges from local um, service users and carers about why do I have to go to um, you know the south of the patch. Uh, and partly because of that, we do actually have five inpatient beds locally so that wherever possible for people that haven't got the most complex needs are actually be able to be supported locally. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Mentally Sound Show 4 podcast uh, with yours truly, Mr. Stephen Hesse. And that was John Lawler talking about a variety of different subjects. And as I said uh, before the section, that is uh, part one of uh, of a three-part series 
of our John Lawler interviews and the next two will be in the next two uh, subsequent shows. Uh, but as I said, it's really, really interesting to talk, talk to him. Obviously, he's in a very privileged position being the uh, uh, the North uh, Northumberland Trust uh, for the NHS, so the chief executive. So it, it obviously um, is interesting to hear his perspective on things and obviously we'll be touching more on it. And the other interviews will release uh, in the later episodes, but uh, but it's fascinating to hear. Obviously, as well, one of the things that was kind of big news is obviously the Conservatives said uh, not too long ago about the idea of having mental health be just as important financially and socially uh, to be on an equal par with physical health, uh, and this is something that, that there's something that I'm a, a huge you know, um, critic of is the idea of that physical health is regarded as far more important than mental health. Um, Whereas, you know, you can make the argument of there's a lot of physical ailments that you can recover from fairly quickly, but mental health is a much longer term problem. And any time it ever gets to long term problems is that um, people feel the need to ignore it is far better than dealing with it, which ironically, a lot of mental health issues can be short-term but become long-term because they don't get treated for it. So the argument of that it's a long-term issue is exasperated by the fact that it's not dealt with on a short-term basis, which I find very interesting. Um, And obviously, I say interesting, but obviously the people like myself who struggle with it every day, it's not interesting at all. It's it's terrible and difficult and and, and something that, 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 that we need help with. Um, so I'm pleased to hear that John Lawler saying that, the, you know, uh, one of the things he touched on in the interview was trying to get that on a level playing field and doing the best that he, he can. And, and I'm hoping that everyone uh, listening to this at some part can, 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 can at least on a very basic level agree with that it needs to be on a level playing field and to be treated just as seriously. It's like one of the things I found there when I was in hospital myself last year was that the least visited ward uh, in most hospitals are psychiatric ones. I mean, there's not very many psychiatric wards, so maybe it's a moo, moo, uh, moo, moo point to say that, but the, the point I'm making is that very often the most long-term patients are in psychiatric wards or like mental health, uh, for mental health reasons, are in hospital, and they're the, very often the least visited, which kind of, to me, reaffirms to me this idea that it's a taboo thing to deal with someone with mental health because it's just generally assumed that there's nothing you can do to help someone with mental health, which I, which I regard as completely flawed, uh, and that's something that that, that, that I uh, had difficulty dealing with. And there's also, there was a survey done, uh, I, I remember, I remember reading as as far back as when Clinton was Prime Minister, where he basically did, there was a survey done where the majority of people, this was an American survey that said that the more people find it difficult to deal with the way that they're treated, more so than the illness themselves, which if that doesn't prove something, and sh- then, then I don't really know what will, because that is something that I generally can't stress enough that I struggle with in regards to the way... I was handled and, and, and treated was all of a sudden like I wasn't a worthwhile person. Um, you know, um, a friend of mine said actually uh, during a conversation, it's a bit like the way we treat the elderly, you know, being put in an old people's home to kind of being put with the idea of we no longer have to deal with said person and mental health regardless of age is dealt with that on a, it dealt with that predominantly in a kind of let's put them in a, a place where they can't be seen uh, so we don't have to deal with it and can lead a normal life and um I, I don't think that's a very moral moral way of dealing with a fellow human being 
Uh, because if that happened to you, you know, how would you feel? about being in a situation where you're in a life-threatening situation and um and people are treating you far differently than when you were when than when you were when you were when you were capable um it i just find that a very hypocritical stance and it's nice to know that john lawless fighting fighting uh as well as we all are to 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 help people understand that a little bit more clearly and we hope that our show does exactly that um and if you could hear the live elements of the show <laughs> i'm just kidding it's just a joke uh to bring it all along but but um but on a serious note the the next segment coming up is a very obviously a very taboo subject and it's the idea of self-harm it's not something that that people are willing to talk about openly for obvious reasons uh, it's regarded as um humiliating a uh, 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 humiliating thing to to admit but one of the things i will say is i, I it's something i especially during the time i was given the wrong medication that was a coping mechanism for me and it was not a uh, it was perceived as a cry for help it really wasn't it was to reaffirm from my perspective how the the, the level of of difficulty i was going through was so bad and the pain i was feeling it was literally any form of cope any form of release from pain was a way of combating that but um as as i wanted to stress and this is something we stressed in the radio show that um if you are feeling suicidal and have any thoughts of doing that please go and get help please go to samaritans.org uh, uh, where you can where you can talk to somebody please ring the samaritans uh also in this particular segment it talks about the various places you can go to get help so we really encourage you to listen to this if you're feeling suicidal or know anyone who has suicide this is a perfect segment to listen to to try and get help for a loved one uh, going through a terrible thing such as this and we feel we deal with it as best we can it's something we talked about a great deal before we did it which is one of the reasons we did did it pre-recorded is because we were worried about doing it live for various reasons uh, as i'm sure you you will understand uh, if you think about it so uh, here is a segment that carol did uh on um on self-harm uh which I believe she did, uh, which I believe she did with Steve, um, and uh, I'm really, really grateful for them to talk about something like this, and I hope it helps people who listen to that particular thing. So here is uh, Carol talking to Steve about self harm, and you're listening to the Mentally Sound uh, podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. Really appreciate it. Hello, it's Carol from Mentally Sound on Gravity Radio. And this lovely, gorgeous Friday afternoon, I'm just about to interview two very good friends of mine. I'm talking about self-harm. I think I'll start with you, Steve. Hi, Carol. What would you like to know? What could you tell me about self-harm? Um, just uh, your, your experience? Yeah, um, well, a bit of personal background. I've self-harmed for over 20 years, um, but I've overcome it. And a lot of my problem as well was mixing alcohol with it because it gave you a false courage mm. and sometimes you would wake up and I would have harmed myself more than I intended to. Yeah. Um, a lot of people say that self-harm is just attention seeking but I can guarantee you that people use it as a coping mechanism yeah. and a way of being in control and to me the self-harm isn't the problem the problem is why is that person self-harming yeah. so the message I'd like to get out to listeners today is if you know anybody that's self-harming or you think they're self-harming don't discriminate them, don't turn them away, just be there for them, mm. listen to what they've got to say and try and understand. Mm. Because when I was self-harming, 
everybody just turned me away and yet when I had cancer everybody wanted to help me so yeah. just be there and listen to people and what they've got to say yeah so what you're saying people are interested in the medical model not really in the holistic model of you know what the person really needs there and then and what about you Reese? what's your personal experience of well, self-harming I've got a history of self-harming as well and it's been quite a number of years um, what I found was was that um, being in the nursing profession um, I found um, self-harm to be uh, as if I was a failure um, that I shouldn't actually be should be able to control like sort of my emotional uh, emotional feelings yeah. um, but unfortunately um, I couldn't so self-harm was the only way I knew how to actually make myself feel better mm-hmm. and um, Can I just inject there why did you feel a failure? Um, because of my childhood um, all the things that went on there so what more do you think could be done for you at work, you know, in the work environment? Um, well, within, within the work environment, obviously, um, it's the stresses of the job. Um, it's the usual scenario, not having um, staff to do the job. Mm-hmm. But um, unfortunately, um, management um, isn't interested really in the shop floor. They're just interested in um, how things generally run. So, so do you think more could be done within the nursing field to help people with depression? Yeah, and then yeah, cope, not yeah. not able to cope with this yeah. workload. Yeah, because um, I found that I was um, not um, not trusted, um, yeah. as if um, all of a sudden I couldn't do my job anymore. Um, and was that when they were made aware that you were depressed? Um, more specifically uh, with the self-harming. Oh, the self-harming. Um, yeah. Could I chip in there a minute, yes. um, As you know, I do lots of work in Northumbria University on the social work programme. Yeah. And I've actually run three self-harm awareness sessions there. Excellent. And the students here, they get so much out of it because it's coming from a person that's been there, experienced yeah. it. And I suppose things are changing slightly and that's my way of yeah. trying to change the future myself. Yeah. And... I also facilitate the group now for self-harmers and mm. it's just in a warm, relaxed atmosphere, non-judgmental yeah. Yeah. and it's once a month from 10 to 12 on a Saturday for mm. people who are working. Anybody interested in coming along there, feel free to contact me, Steve O'Driscoll and yeah. my mobile number is 0794 327. Thank you so Or even much. if you just wanted to chat, just to find out more or a bit yeah. of advice, if I can help you, I will. Thank you so much. What about you, Reese? What do you advise for the young ones listening out there and older people that self-harm? Well, I would, I would advise them to, um, if they can, confide in somebody who they really trust. Yeah. Because um, they themselves might not be able to approach people to say, I've got this problem. Yeah. Where it might be able to be approached by a person who they can actually trust. Yeah. And then they can like, sort of be an advocate, yeah. you know, to help them. Um, but the main thing is not to keep your uh, feelings bottled up. Yeah. Talk, because uh, talking really does help. Yeah. Can I just say on that note as well, Carol? Um, it took me an awful lot to speak out about my problems, but yeah. I found that the first time I did speak about them it was such a relief. It was like a load lifted off my shoulders. Yeah. And now, as you know, I do a lot of public speaking, and the more and more I talk about my problems and what I've done to overcome them. Yeah. It helps me, and if I can change one person's life, mm. through all, all the talks I do in my life, to me, yeah. that's a success. 
And I'd just like to mention to the listeners as well, on Friday the 19th of June, mm-hmm. which is this coming Friday, there's a men's health yeah. event outside the East End Pool and Baker. Useful. And there'll be lots of information there about mental health and I'll also be there with some self-harm information. So if anybody wanting to come along right. from 10 to 4, just pop along and we'll have a nice little chat. Thank you so much. Well, thank you both. It was really thank good. You. We're going to do a series of talks. The next one will be probably based on suicide. Okay. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking Enjoy to this lovely sun. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast with Stephen Hesse, your host. And as as I explained before the podcast, it was Reese as well was the person, other person. It's one of the reasons uh, I, I I got given that that um, particular um, that particular segment. Uh, because we decided to do it pre-recorded really at the last minute because of obviously for various various reasons so apologize but that was with reese and steve as well um talking about self-harm and as i said please i encourage anyone who's listening to this who may know anyone or or, or feel anyway having any issues with self-harm to please go and get help uh through the various things provided i really i'm a huge admirer of steve and i hope he's listening to this for um for for doing all the stuff that he does and i know he does lectures in particular talking about um self-harm and and he's a re- main proprietor of that and i i'm, I'm really uh I, I really really am um i'm grateful that that he's taking a very difficult subject and he's prepared to talk openly about it um and that's so huge uh, from my uh, I, i'm sure i i speak for everyone and saying a huge thank you to steve for being so awesome at at, at doing that we really appreciate it but um but yeah so huge uh i hope that 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 gives some help to to two people out there i know whenever whenever mental health whenever i talk about mental health occasionally people will thank me for for talking about something so we hope that we touch all different aspects of mental health and help as many people as we can that's really the road for doing the show in the first place so we hope we help in that regard and please as we say seek help if you need it um but uh the next segment which is really really uh fun it's a segment we did on the first show where we talked about um superheroes having mental health issues and basically it's a film uh section that victoria and wayne do talking about mental health in films and how they're sort of crowbarred in and you may not notice them and obviously superheroes are a great one because obviously in the first show they talked about batman and about about the fact he he witnessed his his parents being killed in front of him which is bound to have uh, mental health repercussions and so he sort of deals with that by having a mask on essentially which is what superheroes do they're never themselves you know clark kent clark kent is clark kent until he becomes superman and um, so that so that was obviously it was one of my favorite sections i have to say and i i i i i love all the segments that we do but it was great because very often if you come at it with a very strange angle um, it obviously, you know, it, it becomes a very, very great segment, and I really do love the 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 film sections we do. And the first one, we highly recommend you you listen to the first short uh, of Victoria and Wayne talking about um, superheroes and Batman in particular. And um, and yeah, so one of the things they wanted, one of the things that they focused on in this particular show was Orson Welles, someone I'm a huge fan of. I highly recommend not just to, to listen to this podcast, but there is a whole. Uh, um, parkinson special that that michael parkinson who's an interview interviewer in 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 the uk and no longer but he was was for a long time and he talks to orson wells and he's a fascinating character obviously citizen kane is one of the best films ever made and if you haven't seen it i recommend to do to do so but 
very fascinating character and so they talk about the ins and outs of his eccentric personality and obviously his own battles with mental health and sort of talk about the films that he was involved in and how they sort of that you knew they sort of refer referred to mental health in, in so many aspects and obviously and they sort of interact with each other and talk about it and it's one of my favorite segments that that that, 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 that is done on the radio show because obviously popular culture always has a, a, a say in what and how people understand things and it's one thing that science in particular they talk about wanting it to be in the public domain so that it's uh, so people understand it more um so if mental health can have more popular exposure popular culture exposure um i think that's better for everyone involved so yeah so this is a uh, victorian wayne talking about the the life and career and times of orson wells and uh, you're listening to the mentally sound podcast episode four thanks for tuning in guys uh please subscribe if you like to Right, hello there, this is Victoria and Wayne and we're continuing with our segment looking at films and mental health and today we're going to be discussing the great actor, producer, director and general star of classic Hollywood, Orson Welles. That's right, don't forget writer. Um, No, Orson Welles, fantastic and indeed the BFI have recently had a, a short celebration around a lot of independent picture houses in the United Kingdom because they're celebrating what would have been Orson's 100th birthday. Um, If he'd lived, he would have been 100. And it just goes to show that when you look at the output of a man who created his first motion picture, first-time director, producer, and writer for the now infamous Citizen Kane in 1941, which, of course, celebrates its 75th anniversary next year. When you look at a film like that and think, God, 75 years later, I can look at Orson's output and it's known so well universally in film, then this is someone who who deserves a claim. Well, straight away, I have to admit, when you suggested Orson Welles, I thought, what a fantastic idea for a complicated and interesting person who, straight away, outside the box, you would never think associated with mental health issues. And again, another very positive role model to go back to the work that we did on Bruce Wayne and Batman... And um, basically, just from my research, overwhelmed by the number of mental issues that we can touch on around Orson Welles and around his films, and at the same time, just celebrating an extremely talented figure from classic Hollywood. Well, this is true. I mean, if you talk about Bruce Wayne, you talk about a man who was the embodiment of Bruce Wayne. In fact, there are many people who speculate that Bruce Wayne's character was based on Orson Welles and in theory, in part, on both Citizen Kane. Uh, We've heard a lot of people say, for example, that Montgomery Burns in The Simpsons is Citizen Kane. And in many respects, that could be said to be true. There's a lot of parallels, especially in the early seasons. There's a lot of parody in that. But in terms of Bruce Wayne, you're looking at a man who had a very difficult childhood, who was taken away in many respects from his family, and who became very much independent. A great story I love about Wells, for example, is that when he was 19, he walked into the Abbey Theatre in Dublin and convinced them that he was an American um, millionaire or like a famous, uh, basically a famous film director. And uh, he managed to get uh, several leading parts in plays in Dublin. In fact, the only reason he left Dublin to go back to the States is because Ireland refused him a visa. And um, years later, the manager of the Abbey Theatre was quoted as having said he never believed Wells when he made those initial claims. But the reason that he gave him a contract or took him in any way seriously was because Wells had such a grandiose and such a... um, 
an overpowering sense of charisma, uh, something that I'm sure is is echoed in his um, uh, in his mental awareness. I think. So yes, I think his childhood is an absolutely fantastic place to start. Uh, just to give a very brief summary, like a lot of people who go on to either great things or unfortunately to show signs of uh, mental health issues, Orson Welles had a very troubled childhood in some aspects. He had an alcoholic father who was very distant. He had a very controlling mother who unfortunately died when he was nine years old, which likely had a huge impact on the person that Orson Welles was to become. He had a brother who was, in fact, institutionalised, because you have to remember we are talking about sort of the 1920s, 1930s, when awareness and understanding of mental health issues, and particularly in how to diagnose and treat them, was really lacking. And anyone who thinks the situation's bad now... Uh, simply has to look back only sort of 70 years to look at just how harshly people with any signs of mental illness were treated. And in fact, his brother spent at one uh, period in his life 10 years in an asylum, very much the old-fashioned notion of the asylum. Uh, So that's substance misuse, obviously that's childhood stress, childhood trauma. Let's move on to something slightly more positive. After all that turmoil, his father dying at 15, Wells has then uh, mentored. Uh, Obviously there's a lack of love, I could say, almost Mm -hmm. in that early period in his life. Oh, definitely. Um, Yet you're looking at his early 20s, already hotly successful as a radio star with his own Mercury company. Let's move on to Citizen Kane. Well, I think, you know, when you're talking about the uh, emotional abuse that he suffered and the emotional and mental illness that he went through, you can look at the characters that he wrote, the characters that he portrayed on screen, and the characters that he took from other people. Um, If we think of the film The Stranger from 1946, for example, he played a Nazi war criminal who escapes to find um, another life on the run after the Second World War in America. If we look at The Third Man and the character of Harry Lyme, this is a particular pivotal character. Wells is on screen for maybe 12, 15 minutes at the most of the film, but he is a very troubled character who has led a life in Vienna's underground after the post-war and has become a kind of a figure for helping the people and getting them the medication that they might need, even though this obviously comes at a price. We look at something like Citizen Kane from 1941, and Charles Foster Kane, one of the first things he does is buy a fledging newspaper and decide to help people and in many ways he almost makes it like the tabloid of the day there's no real truth behind the stories he's just looking to sell newspapers and maybe give people jobs and give people hope that their lives aren't as depressing as the lives overseas and this is all coming back to the Bruce Wayne character but it's all very much echoing his own life indeed in Citizen Kane Um, It's amazing that Wells himself was admitted to a psychiatric institution voluntarily because of the stress of making that movie took such a high personal toll. And although it's only speculation, you can't help but admit that Wells probably did that because a lot of the character reminded him of his own upbringing, his own brother. And a lot of it was very much um, coming back to himself, although the media at the time did sort of say that 
a lot of it was very much connected with Charles Randolph Hearst, the media tycoon. And that indeed is true. There is a lot of similarity in their lives and the use of the word rosebud. I'll leave that to your imagination, what that actually stood for in Charles Randolph Hearst's life. But indeed, um, a lot of the, the very personal stuff that Kane wrote or that Wells wrote about Kane, I should say, they were the same character. They were the same man. It was a biography of him in a way. I mean, a lot of uh, the reading that you can do should you choose to look up uh, Orson Welles or Citizen Kane in association with mental health does seem to gravitate towards the possibility of both the character and the legend himself suffering from either a narcissistic personality disorder or from a bipolar disorder. And you can sort of see traits of both, even in the most... uh, simplistic elements of the work if you watch Citizen Kane you see a man who starts with such passion with such enthusiasm in the newspaper business yet over the course of the film becomes emotionally deadened becomes somewhat disillusioned I think that the dream isn't quite lived up to his colossal expectations and then you get to the end of the film and even if this is the only scene you've seen it is incredibly powerful when his alcoholic wife leaves him and he is left alone in the mansion that he has created for himself out of sheer vanity smashing it to pieces and that level of rage from a man that you have previously seen as seeming so disinterested and so lost in himself to suddenly act out in that way, I'm sure that any people who are listening who have known people with mental health issues that have come in terms of um, anger or rage will have seen that sort of destruction, very personal destruction of his uh, wife's property, which I think really does uh, it's an externalization of the pain that up until that point he's been holding inside well it's it's true isn't it and it's it's very much in tune with the man and who he is um one of my particular favorite scenes in citizen kane is when he's confronted by his guardian mr thatcher um in his 20 somethings or 30 somethings about the running of a newspaper and mr thatcher's reaction is is that exactly is this uh, now really charles is this your idea of how to run a newspaper and of course uh, kane responds i don't know how to run a newspaper mr thatcher i just try everything i can think of and that in itself is probably a very good emphasis for wells himself Wells, did he know how to direct films? Probably not. He just tried everything he could think of. That's not to say he wasn't talented, but it related a lot in his life. He tried as much as he could think of to do everything to push the boundaries. Uh, Towards Wells' uh, own later life, he became very ostracized from the Hollywood community who had shown a lot of patience and tact with him and he'd made quite a number of successful films. Indeed, the lady from Shanghai with Rita Hayworth was another extremely successful film from 1949. And, you know, he'd made a lot of these films, um, but had gravitated towards Europe because he felt it had more creative control. And as he always said when asked, you know, was he a filmmaker? Again, it was, well, not really, but I try everything I can think of. And uh, this is why even when uh, he was found uh, dead of a heart attack in March of uh, 1985, he was discovered. And uh, the, the famous story is that he was found at his desk by his chauffeur typing up a shooting script for the next day. And the shooting script itself 
was for something that he was shooting at UCLA, which was the pilot for a magic show. Something that we never really associate with Orson Welles, but he had a huge love and respect for magic and was working on his own Orson Welles magic show. I think bringing it back to mental health, what we can certainly take from anecdotes like that is something that I think a lot of people will identify with, that sense of perhaps when you are mentally vulnerable or unwell, that idea that you don't really understand your own identity, you don't quite know who you want to be, that craving for just being accepted, for being successful, but slightly directionless in some ways. I think a lot of people could relate to Orson Welles in that sense. Mm. And uh, obviously just wrapping it up now, because we haven't got uh, much time, but really what I would love to say to people is go out there, watch Citizen Kane, look for that narcissistic personality, look for those bipolar traits in a character that normally we don't associate with uh, mental health issues. Look at Orson Welles, the man, and the issues around stress, around his mood and his personality, the substance misuse in his history and his identity and childhood, and you will see an absolutely fascinating example of someone who potentially had mental health issues who not only made it, but made it in such a memorable and fantastic way that even now, after his death, is still with us in terms of uh, film journalism and obviously today in terms of our mental health programme. Absolutely. Um, I would also recommend, if I might, The Third Man, a film which stars Joseph Cotton, who's also in Citizen Kane, and Orson himself, a film that was not written by Orson, but he was invited to play the character, and he felt extremely strongly that this was a character who related very much to both Kane and himself. So I think it's an equally vital film to watch. It's not shot in the same sort of traditionalist 40s and 50s way of shooting films. It's actually a very modern take on a film. You can watch it very easily. There's not as many short, sharp sort of cuts that you get in a lot of films of that era. So I would totally recommend tracking it down. Uh, well worth a watch alongside, of course, Citizen Kane. Okay, so from Wayne and myself, Victoria, I want to thank you very much for listening to our little film segment. And by all means, uh, please email in, let us know any films you may have seen that are slightly outside the box, that have made you think a little bit about mental health when that's not really the issue that's sort of out there. And uh, have a lovely day. Lovely. Take care. Bye for now. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Mentally Sound uh, Podcast. Uh, Stephen Hassey here, hosting. And as I said, uh, thank you so much to Victoria and Wayne. As as I'm sure you'll you'll agree, it's a particularly awesome section uh, that they do, and I really, really do hope that they do more. Uh, and uh, huge shout out to Victoria. Hope hope that she's more uh, like she gets better and she's more involved in the shows. I'm sure she won't. She'd appreciate me saying that. So, so big up to Victoria for all the hard work that she does. Um, and obviously, huge thank you to Wayne. Um, Wayne actually is part of uh, my Twitch channel uh, as well. Uh, he's going to be streaming with me. Uh, so a free, uh, a free shout out to to um, to my Twitch channel where we play games and such. Um, uh, is it old old friend of mine? I've known him for a long time. Uh, we did a ra- we did radio shows together. We've done hundreds of radio shows together. So. Um, really, really excited that he's part of it, and a huge thank you to him for being a producer on the live show, as in the live show that we can't hear because it wasn't recorded. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But yes, but uh, he was a huge help to everyone involved for being a now sat in producer uh, for the show. That's really helped the live show. So I want to say a big, huge thank you to Wayne 
uh, for for be for 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 being so great and helping me uh, and and everyone involved. Uh, he really did. He really did do a great job. Um, but this next segment, as I said, we were, what we would have done now live, because I obviously write a script for every radio show that we do, would have been with Jules doing his poetry. Um, so what, what Jules was very kind enough to do was to do some introductions and to do his poetry. So he sent me some, he sent me a recording. So we're going to do that. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to do some poetry now with Jules. Uh, so Jules will be explaining his poetry and doing some poetry for us in this next segment. And we'll be back uh for the next uh and i'll be back introducing the uh next segment with uh bill uh, interviewing derek uh who is um, from the learning disabilities in the south townside which we just plugged earlier in the show so um so yeah really excited to let you guys listen to that but this is jules uh our our poet our poet laureate of uh the mentally sound uh radio show uh doing some poetry for us so yeah uh huge thank you to jules and you're listening to the mentally sound uh podcast hi um Mentally sound radio show listeners, uh, this is the Jolter speaking. I've got three poems for you. Uh, one's called Death Despair, one's called Closing My Eyes, and one is called I Want. Got to finish off with a happy one. Death Despair is about how I felt in the past when I was really, really down, and it ties in with the self harm article that we did earlier don't do it it isn't worth it I can understand how people feel because uh, when you're depressed the mind does plays silly tricks with you and you kind of lose control and this is how it feels that's despair I want to end it all I try I succeed my 8 year old daughter cries Forever. My 13-year-old son wonders where I am. My ex-wives blame themselves. In latter life, both siblings are down. Ex-wife number two takes her life. And I haven't even mentioned the train driver. I wish I hadn't ended it all. There is no end. That's that one done. Next one about depression it's called closing my eyes I close my eyes and vividly visualise manic times spent unwise remembering the by the bys the peaks the highs the troubles the sighs why can't I let sleeping dogs lie recalling the past consolidates my demise the times I thought of trains, viaducts and ways to die. Periods when I've given it one more try. Use a smile as a disguise, even though the tortures inside me rise and call out for me to hide. Sometimes I just stay in bed and silently cry. Months pass and my spirits fly. Normal feelings come as a surprise. But rapid cycling kicks in and my mood slides. The longer I stay in bed and close my eyes, the more depressive thoughts are reapplied. I wish bipolar mood disorder had made me wise, that I didn't see personal failure as a depressive guise. Deep down I know that living a life of contentment is the ultimate prize. Bring it on, I'm ready for the ride. 
I want to try it out for size. Mindfulness will keep my eyes open wide. And lastly, a happy one called I Want. I stare at life's dance floor in wonder. I'm a goose, not a gander. I treat each of life's moments with candour. I surround myself with unrestrained grandeur. I gaze across life's floor. Being positive, I'm never shown its door. I have a nuclear electronic core. I don't just want cheese and biscuits. I want much more. I want to go down in folklore. I want to be appreciated, not a bore. To immerse myself in pleasantry, not gore. I want to enjoy life. I don't want to scream. I want to roar. I want to make peace, not war. Travelling on a universal friends tour. I don't want to have to give life what for. I want to fly like an eagle. I want my emotions to soar. I want to be always aware of life's score. Be prepared for what each moment has in store. Appreciate the elements, feel them in the raw. I want to ooze my soul from every pore. I want to relive each of life's magic moments. I want to always want more. That's me, the Jewelster. Uh, I'll see you next time and I hope you enjoyed those three poems and that they made you think. Bye. Hello everybody, as, as, as I touched on uh, before I introduced Jules' segment, he is a very interesting character, is Jules Not, And a huge thank you to his poems. They really do inspire, as he suggested at the end of his segment, the idea of, of thinking. And, and, and uh, I find poems incredibly entertaining. Uh, so a huge thank you to Jules. Uh, uh, I'm a, he seems to be a regular, um, a, a regular uh, segment on the show now, which is awesome. I... I'm totally on board with the idea of having more poetry in the show, so that's awesome. So, Jules is always welcome, and a huge thank you for him to go the extra mile into recording his poems for the podcast. That was really uh, great of him to do that, considering we lost live. Did I mention we lost live? <laughs> um, just, uh, but yeah. So, so yeah, huge thank you to him for for going the extra mile and doing that. We really, really appreciate it, and we hope you enjoyed his his poetry as much as we did. Uh, it's particular, particularly awesome. Uh, so as I touched on earlier, uh, uh, the last um, segment that we did uh, for the in terms of the pre-recorded ones that we do have uh, was Bill uh, is back doing an interview with Derek. Uh, now Derek is part of Learn Disabilities in South Tyneside, and he talks about because um, the South Tyneside Library Service, uh, for example, is hugely supportive of the local learning disability projects uh, that happen. Uh, in the area uh, with regular film and performance events that often uh, they link up with uh, a place called People's Cafe which is run by uh, Tyneside uh, Mind Charity uh, which uh, has a bunch of really uh, dedicated volunteers that help out Um, so yeah um, it's really nice to talk to Derek uh, about his particular learning disability and and obviously how uh, people help to to help people with learning disabilities and the sort of projects you can expect if you go to for example the people's cafe as, as, as we just mentioned so this is bill's brilliant interview uh, uh with derek uh and uh this is the final pre-recorded bit so when i come back i will be saying goodbye and uh just thanking you for being part of the podcast if you like what you hear please do subscribe to us on itunes 
and various other things. And uh, we hugely thank you for the support. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, Bill's interview with Derek. Enjoy. In the library in South Shields, talking to Derek. Yeah, yeah, my name is Derek. I'm a reporter for uh, uh, the news team. The news team based at Ocean uh, Road. Uh-huh. And um, what we actually do, um, I don't know about uh, you, Bill, but what we've always done, we always got 10 news stories written there down. We look up the website and um, we check up the list. News, sport, believe me, it's all there. And um, the news team has been going on for quite a long time. A guy called Ian Curry, he started the whole thing off about five years ago. Now, it's team about ages, that's what I'm Because what we did, um, we actually had an interview with a reporter from Metro Radio, a girl called Jenny Ellis, all those years ago. And uh, it's fascinating for you know, because I've still got a, uh, a DVD of the actual interview, but say what we did. And who gets your news and how do they get it? Do you produce a newsletter? We do. And, um, who was on standby, you know, from uh, Dunk's house. And um, the responsibility for us is made sure that all copies of the newsletter have been sent out, you know. And um, with Claire being the news team editor, I mean, she's doing a heck of a remarkable job, you know. And um, what we do, we send out copies, as you just mentioned there before, um, we actually send out copies to all bases, you know. Um, Blacks of Fowl, James Walsh, uh, Perfectly invested, just make sure they get a copy. That's the Father James Walsh Centre where yep. we, we were in yesterday, uh, in general, yeah. That's correct. Uh, uh, and that was uh, your voice counts? Yeah, it was. Uh, or was that evil people? Yeah, it was. How often does the newsletter come out? It comes about uh, uh, once a week, I think, I'm not really sure, but um, uh-huh. we came up with some ideas. Lots of places on the map. I came up with an idea about how to go to the Hancock Museum. The only time I was there. Um, they put on a Star Trek exhibition mm-hmm. all those years ago, and um, I was because st- I've been a Star Trek fan all 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 uh, my life, you know. So you're interested in lots of things, and you're also involved in not just the news team, but you're involved with other projects, aren't you? <sighs> Bill, you've got no idea. I mean, yeah, I've actually been responsible for um, making sure that um, everybody here does have a job properly, you know, because. Mm-hmm. When you think about learning disability, we're not too far away now. Um, That's right. Which is not until June fifteenth. Answer my being will be producing a show of our own. Me and Heather will be taking focus of um, the Ocean Arts Roadshow. Who will be oh, yes. putting on a show of our own about the decades of World War II, all that sort of thing. Um, There's focus. lots of events. Uh, learning disability week is now fifteenth to the twenty-first of June. There's also what's going on. In South Townside. There's also what's going on. Yeah. Um, Weren't you involved in a f- you know, making uh, both a video and a song? I seem to remember you. Was it, uh, what was that again? Was that the Safe Places song or? It was actually because we were actually involved in uh, doing the entire recording. Yeah, um, yeah. Because you're, you're featured quite strongly in the video, aren't you? Yeah, because, um, yeah, because the reason for it. Mm. we had to think of how we were going to put the whole entire recording together I met a guy called Graham Littlewood who surprisingly presented the certificates you know? oh Graham Littlewood yeah uh-huh. and I, yeah. I had a chat with him and um, he came up with the idea uh-huh. of how to present the uh, certificates to everybody so you've made the video and the song mm. lots of things you're involved with the media team you're involved with 
your voice counts, mm-hmm. equal people. Yeah. What about arts for well-being? Are you? Involved? Um, I used to work for a long, long time ago. And what's the project that you're in here for today? Good question. Um, <laughs> well, believe me, I'm saying it's not about crushing being uh, put right here. Um, we're going to be watching a film. Ah, okay. Which film is that going to be? Do you know? A film about a bear called Panzer, which I've never seen before. Right. And, um, what we do, as we've seen the uh, film, um, we'll be hosting a quiz about the uh, film. Mm-hmm. And I've got seven questions written down. Right. And um, the thing about John, I mean, I know he's a hack of a quiz master himself, but what he does not know is I've got seven questions written uh, down for a quiz. Right. I mean, when John comes in, uh, when he does with it, he will not even know a thing that's about me having seven questions you know, written down last night. And um, That sounds exciting. It does, because people often get involved in a quiz from, uh, from uh, time to time. You mm-hmm. know? Can I just draw attention to something else? Yeah, sure. I gather that there's some kind of big event at the Customs House later in June, late June. Do you know where actually is? Um, Are I've you been, involved with that? Well, let's see, I'm the compare from about um, 2 o'clock at the end of fair June to mm-hmm. around 10 o'clock in the evening. Right. It's all about events going on, you know, and um, I'm the one who's been chosen to actually be on the microphone and make myself fair heard, you know. Mm-hmm. So... And what kind of things will be happening? Um, the things that will be happening, I'll be on the microphone, let's say, you know, and um, informing people that if there's any films going on, Get yourselves along and watch the film. Yep, there is. I think it's a Saturday that's happening, isn't it? It is. From 2 o'clock to around 10. Yep. Yeah, that'd be really good. Uh, what other things are you involved with? Well, you've heard a great deal about Seven News Team, how we all get on. Yeah. As, yeah. as uh, You're reporters. a fantastic bunch, yeah. We are. Um, we all get together. Sometimes we generally hold team meetings mm-hmm. upstairs in a private uh, room, taking place downstairs in the, um, mm-hmm. the actual cinema. From one mm-hmm. thirty to half two. And what's going on is they'll be celebrating seventy years uh, since the end of World War Two with their show uh, covering the changes in music during each decade, uh, right up to the present day. I mean, just looking at the different events here, there's the Magna Carta Street Party mm-hmm. uh, on the Monday. There's football that same day. There's information and crafts at Redesign Recycling on the sixteenth. There's, oh, there's a talk to us AGM and health event here. That'd be good. Extreme, you know. Yeah. Um, there's so many things happening that week. There's, I noticed on the Wednesday, are you involved with this one? Famous people with a learning disability. Um, you much. are? Okay. Arts for Wellbeing are hosting it, so you'll be working with them. They're a lovely uh, bunch of people, aren't they, Arts for Wellbeing? Well, um, I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. Is there anything else you'd add before we go? Um, I think what's most important about setting this film is make sure that um, all the reports watch carefully observe mm-hmm. all, all that sort of thing you know but um, I think it's going to be a fascinating event learning dis- mm. is learning disability say we mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. I think what we've got to do is to conduct interviews like I mentioned before and um, all we've got to do is to use the recording equipment um, interview Whoever's free for a chat, and we've got to, and and one way or another, me training here have got to decide um, who's free for a chat, who's free for an interview, and who is not free for an interview. So, 
Mm. It's done. It's, it's done. It was. I've got another question which I meant to ask earlier. In right terms way. of learning disability across the borough, yeah. all the events that are happening, all because mm. you know, it's something happening like all the time, isn't it? Lots of projects running. Yep. What do you think people get from it? You know, the service users that uses it. What, what do you think they're getting from it? That's a very good question. I think we'll probably get a lot of credit for what's ever done. People love working together, though, don't they? They do, and um, I think the responsibility, as far as I'm concerned, mm. is just make sure that everybody gets on well. You know, I mean. Yeah. I mean, we want Learn Disabilities Week to be a success, you know, mm -hmm. a huge success. Um, mm -hmm. We want to make sure everything goes according to plan, and we also want to make sure nothing does not go wrong, you know, because I'm sure it does not. Right. Would you like to say hello to Carol and Joanne in case they're listening in when the next goes out? <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, I think they're better be. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if Carol and Joanne are listening, assuming if they are, but, uh, I mean, those two have been remarkable to get on with. Mm. They really have. Well, on that note, uh, I'd just like to thank you uh, for the chat this morning. I hope we have another chat soon. Yeah, I'm sure of it. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks very much, Derek. Thank you very much, Neva. Okay, yeah, so thank you so much to Bill uh, for his interview with Derek, and it's really nice to see that the learning disability community has a place to go and a place where they can get support, and a huge thank you to uh, all the uh, the volunteers. Uh, volunteers are brilliant, uh, especially with stuff that is as delicate as mental health, for them to be involved in a community such as this. We really highly appreciate it. Uh, so a huge thank you to them as well. Uh, free shout-out to volunteers. Volunteers are awesome, and we I've dealt with some in the past, and... Uh, if you can get good volunteers, that's just uh, they 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 they're worth their weight in gold. Um, uh, so so huge thank you to them, and anyone who helps in the mental health community for for, for to give up their free time. Uh, we really really can't describe how important that is so huge thank you um thank you that's it uh so as again apologies for the fact that this isn't uh, a live show here in live segments uh like uh, after the fact we apologize for that and as i say we we hope and pray that this uh, that, well we don't I, i'm not i'm not religious but feel free to plip to pray that uh this is the only time this will happen and and you will be in the unfortunate task of hearing me and uh, do the introductions to all the segments uh let's tr we'll try not to let that happen uh again uh and we will try to be more entertaining in future segment in future podcasts but we really hope that you, you that you've enjoyed the podcast because as i say the pre-recorded content is always going to be of a high standard because that's the element of stuff that we're in control of and i do think they're really really good so um as as i said earlier in the podcast please do listen to uh shows one to three um that will give you a better idea of what the podcasts are usually like. And a huge thank you, obviously, as like we always end the live shows by saying a huge thank you to everyone that's contributed to the show and every from behind the scenes to the live show itself. Uh, and all the, the and obviously all the people who get interviewed, uh, anyone who be guests on the show, we really appreciate. If you want to be a guest on the show as well i feel i'm sure gareth won't mind me saying you can do so by uh, e uh you can either email me at stephen hesswood media at gmail.com or you can um uh tweet what tweet me or tweet um at underscore mentally sound uh and i'm sure uh we we will get back to you um so yeah if you're interested in being on that would be awesome uh, but yeah, huge thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, please subscribe if you're on iTunes. We really would appreciate that. Every support we get obviously helps. Um, please feel feel free to check out my podcast, which is Geek Apocalypse as well, because uh, I'm going to actually have 
uh, Marty, who was on uh, the ch- last week, last month's show. Um, we're going to do like a full uh, show with him, um, so I'm really excited uh, to do that. Uh, so there'll be some ties in. I mentioned mentally sound on my show as well, so I feel it's only it's a, it's a, it's fair to say um that's what i'm more predominantly known for so so um so yeah please do uh support everyone involved in the show um huge thank you to mental health northeast which gareth runs which is uh and, and alistair as well who's a lot of who, who does a lot of behind the scenes stuff and uh, the underpinning stuff that uh he deserves a lot of credit for, for for helping everyone and giving up his space and giving up space to do recordings and stuff uh so huge thank you thank you so much for listening i've been Stephen hesse uh host of uh mentally sound and uh thank you so much for listening guys uh have a have a have a good great of the week and uh hope you are in a mentally sound frame of mind uh thanks guys take care bye